So if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient to guide us in faith and life. And the word of the Lord is authoritative over each and every one of us. Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you, and the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around, And see, they all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephath All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. They shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Neboeth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because He has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually. Day and night they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall utterly be laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you. The cypress the plain and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, that I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated and no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever. A joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations. You shall nurse at the breast of kings. And you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. And instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. 
Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor the brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have given to us this word. And we ask, O Lord, that it would work upon our hearts that we would be drawn to You, that Your will would be revealed to us, and that we might know and love the Savior. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I know that the church in the 21st century, especially in America, doesn't have patron saints. We don't believe that there are specific saints that will guide us through things. But I think in its stead, the American church at times appears that it has taken up a patron philosopher. A philosopher that many of you know from days of your youth. Actually, it's the favorite philosopher of my younger sister. It's a philosopher who's so famous, he only has one name. And his name is Eeyore. You know who Eeyore is, don't you? You look out and you see a glorious sunny day like this and you ask him what he thinks and he says, Well, it'll probably rain soon. You're at dinner and you're eating and you're enjoying the food. And you say, isn't this a wonderful meal? And Eeyore says, well, we'll probably get sick afterward. No matter what it is, he has a, a downer way to look at the world. And it seems that the church in America is caught up in this kind of thinking that no matter what is happening, we find the dark cloud. We're not looking for the silver lining. We find all of the problems in the blessings that we get. We find a way to even complain about the blessings the Lord gives to us. We say, well, we can't handle these blessings. Why didn't God know that? Why didn't He ration them out? And you see, in America today, the church has come to a point where it stands in lockstep at times with the world trying to find all of the bad things. We line up, and as one friend has said to me, that he has successfully predicted ten of the last two recessions. This is what we do. We look and we expect things to get worse. We expect to be miserable. And then we're miserable about being miserable. But you see, the Bible doesn't have that view of the world. 
You see, the Bible's view of the world is not dependent on interest rates or what the Fed is doing or what our lawmakers are doing or what the colleges are doing. The Bible looks at the world with the same sets of eyes whether you live in America in the 21st century or in France in the 16th century or in Rome in the 4th century. It doesn't matter. The Bible looks at the world with one set of eyes that says fundamentally there is a principle about the world. And that is that the world is not that it should be. And the world is filled with sin and sorrow, but the Lord our God is redeeming His people and the world. And there is reason always to be optimistic. Not that our circumstances will get better, but that we know that God is sovereign and in charge. And that He has a plan, not just for me, not just for my family, but for the entirety of the universe. And so this morning, I would like us to look at this chapter from the book of Isaiah and to see three things that will help us to understand this purpose, this plan that the Lord has for the world that is laid out in such vivid detail. First, we will see that we can be optimistic because the kingdom is coming. Kingdom is coming. And then second, we can be optimistic as we know that God's promises will be performed. And then thirdly, we can be optimistic because we know that redemption will be realized in our lives, in the church, and in the world. The kingdom is coming. The promises are performed. And redemption will be realized. So let's begin then by looking at this wonderful passage of Isaiah chapter 60. It begins on a great note of encouragement. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Because you see, the people in Isaiah's day were just like you and me. Of course, they wore different clothes. They spoke a different language. But they were men and women and children just like you and me. And they had a great concern about what was happening in the world. They ask themselves, well, what does the future hold for me? I'm scared. When I graduate from college, will there be a job waiting for me? When I have children, will I raise them properly? As I'm getting ready to retire, will I have everything that I need? Will my health stay proper? Will my country follow along a path of godliness? Will there be safety and security? Then we begin to ask ourselves, what is our part in this? What can we do? And the world seems so big, doesn't it? We can't fix our economy. We can't fix our military forces. We can't affect nations across the globe. And we wonder, what can we do? We are at the mercy of events. And we look and we see that the world is not a good place. It doesn't take a genius to see that, does it? A few minutes scanning a newspaper story or looking at an article will tell you that there is all sorts of horrors and misery that goes on in the world today. But you see, what this passage says to you this morning 
is not to lose your focus. The Lord is coming. Arise and shine. For your light has come. Do you see that? Isaiah is telling you right now today that God is present and you can get up and shake off your fears and your miseries and know that the Lord Himself is present. You see, that's the real danger. The real danger is not what interest rates will do. The real danger is not what unemployment will do. The real danger is not about what war will come. The real danger is if the Lord is not present, we have no hope. And Isaiah takes that off the table so that we might be encouraged. He says, arise and shine. Your light has come. And it's, it's very curious. One of the things about ancient languages is you have words that have gender, male and female. And when Isaiah uses the word you here, it is a feminine singular noun. Why the grammar lesson? Well, if you look back, the chapter before is about Zion, the city of God, the church of God. And you see, this applies not just to some of us, not just to a few of us who have got it pulled together. What Isaiah is saying is to every one of you, if you are a part of the people of God, your light has come. Without exception. He's encouraging all of the people of God. And it is a a tangible, physical thing in our presence almost. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. This word glory has great significance and feel. In Hebrew, it is the word heavy. The more glorious you are, the heavier you are, the weightier you are. There's almost a tangibleness about it. See, what Isaiah is saying here is, your Lord in your midst is more real than the things that are around you. Take comfort from that. And now there is no more groping about in the dark. Do you see? For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples. You see, Isaiah does not play games. He does not tell you to pretend the world is not like it is. He says, I know it's dark out there. But you see, the Lord will arise upon you and His glory will be seen upon you. You see, Isaiah says, it's a dark world but you have light to see by. You don't need to be afraid. Isn't that comforting? To to get a picture of that, remember when you were a very young child. Or perhaps think of your own children. And they go to bed and they're scared. They can't fall asleep. They've watched something, a movie that's scared them, or they've heard a scary story, or they're worried. What do you do To put them to sleep. It's almost counterintuitive, isn't it? You turn on the light. Then they can go to sleep. Because that light brings a sense of comfort. The darkness is dispelled. All of the fears that we don't know, that we are afraid of, we're afraid of the fears, are dispelled because we can see Reality. And you see, that's what Isaiah is saying to you this morning. You don't need to be pessimistic because as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know real reality. The light has come. It has dispelled the darkness. The Lord comes. 
But it's not just that the Lord comes. You see, where the Lord is present, there is His peace and His gospel. And you see, the nations then come as well. They see this light. Verse 3, nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes, Isaiah says. Look up. They gather together. They come to you. They come from afar. When you are tempted to think that the world is a miserable, lost place where there is no hope, would you think about all of the places around the globe where the Word of God has gone. Think of how miraculous, think of how unfathomable it would be that a group of fishermen and tax collectors could bring a message to a land as far away as Korea where no one looks like them and no one speaks like them. And now, Korea is a place where the gospel goes forward in Africa and in Asia because they bring that same message. It's unbelievable. It's countercultural. It's pan-cultural. There is cause for great hope and optimism because you are sitting here today, brothers and sisters. When Isaiah was writing this, Virtually every one of our forefathers were conducting human sacrifice and worshiping trees and sticks and animals. And here we sit, having received the gospel because the Lord has decreed it to be so. If He can do this, can He not do anything? The Lord comes and the nations come because the kingdom is here and what God wants is that His people would be enlarged. See this here in verse 4. He wants to see His people gathered together from all across the world. He wants them to tell His praises. Look at verse 6. They shall bring the good news, the praises of the Lord. They will worship Him. Verse 7. They will come up to His beautiful house with acceptance upon His altar, the whole world will be the Lord's. In verse 9. The Holy One of Israel. Are you ready to give up your dreams for the future and to embrace God's dream? Are you willing to give up your reality which makes you pessimistic and gives you no hope and to embrace God's reality? what He is doing here today. You see, if we have this vision of the kingdom, then our circumstances that surround us do not bother us. We know that politicians will pass dumb laws. We know people will steal things. We know things will get broken. We know people will fight and war. But that is merely a temporary interlude into what God is about to accomplish. It's all about our focus. Isaiah then goes on in verse 10 to talk about the promises of the living God that are being performed and are performed. Promises that go all the way back to the book of Genesis, specifically to Abraham. He says here in verse 10, Foreigners shall build up your walls 
and their king shall minister to you. Verse 11, your gates shall be continually open day and night. They shall not be shut. You see, what God says here is, be optimistic because the plans that I have are for blessing, not battle. We know about the battle, don't we? We see the battle around us every day. We're frustrated. We argue with folks. We say things to them that we think are so unbelievably clear and we can't understand why they don't get it. As a matter of fact, we see our world rejecting what we know to be true and real. There was a story this week that came out that perhaps you read it and it caused you to be angry and it caused you to be pessimistic about our world today. It was a story of a family that wanted to put the symbol of a fish on a grave because it symbolized the deceased person's faith in Christ. And it was a city public cemetery. And the person in charge of the cemetery said, no, you can't do that because it might offend people. You know, that would be just like putting a swastika on a grave. And we want to shake our heads and say, are we taking crazy pills? Where are we? How on earth could someone think that? And we want to think all is lost because we're caught in the midst of the battle and we think that we are the ones who have to fight and we see ourselves losing and we know we don't have the power to win. But you see, here in verse 10, Isaiah tells us that God knows about the battle. As a matter of fact, He knows the battle is really about Him. Not you. Not me. You see, we feel like we are abandoned in the midst of the battle, that we are cut off, that our supply lines aren't going to reach us, and that we don't know if we can hold out. And God says, child, that's a silly way to think. Not only do I know about the battle, the battle is about me. And I've already won the battle. So you don't need to worry about being abandoned or to be cut off, or whether you are going to lose, because you see, the battle is mine, says the Lord. And even though we are now the church militant, we are not on the defensive. This is a difference, even from the Old Testament to the New, with the presence and work of Christ. Do you see how Isaiah describes it? He says, Your gates shall be open continually. Day and night they shall not be shut. You see, I think... As the church today, we need to understand that our job is not to throw up walls and to keep the bad people out so that we can enjoy peace. Sometimes I think that's how we describe our job, that we are some kind of great walled fortress. That if we can just hold the enemy at bay against all hope, that we'll have done our duty. And you see, God says again, child, no. The walls are open because you are to go out on the offensive. You are victorious. I am expanding my kingdom. We are going out into the world bringing a gospel message. You are not to be on the defensive. The battle is mine, says the Lord. We don't need protection. 
And so what comes to us then is this glorious picture of Zion, the city of God. In verse 13, The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. I will make the place of my feet glorious. You see, what God is saying is, beauty and peace are coming. Again, reality. God is not expecting us to look out and about and to say, oh, everything is perfect. You see, that is an opposite error that we can fall into. We read Romans 8.28 and we say, God works out all things for those who love them. And then we think that, well, if we can't be Eeyore, we have to be Mr. Optimist and everything is good. Oh, it's so good I lost my job. I'm sure God has something better for me. Oh, I'm so glad that he's in jail. Oh, things must be good for that. Oh, it's good that the economy is bad. God must be planning something wonderful for us. And we fail to take into account that this is a world marred by sin and misery and tears that God is actively redeeming. And you see, we don't need to make excuses for the state of the world. We just need to know that God is at work. That He is on the move and that He will change the world forever. The oppression that we experience will end. Look at verse 14. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you. And all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. What a triumph of grace. Now stop and take those words in. Those who afflicted you those who despised you, they will know the reality of the world. Do you feel afflicted? Do you feel the church is afflicted? Do you feel that the church is despised? Because it certainly is throughout the world. Here, this word is a word of hope. Because God says, it will not always be this way. I am bringing those who are my enemies to Myself. And what a glory it is that throughout His Word and throughout the history of the church, He gives us examples of this. He takes one who is a murderer and a persecutor of the church and He makes him His greatest missionary. Unbelievable. He takes enemies of the cross and turns them into great proponents of grace. He takes people like you and me in our hearts even if we don't want to admit it, before we have claimed the name of Jesus Christ, we hate God. And He gives us hearts of flesh. You see, if you are here this morning and you are miserable with the world and you think there is no hope and you want things to be different and you wish that God would just get His act together and you can't understand why anyone would believe in a God, that would have a world like this. This word is for you this morning. Because what needs to change is not the world first. Is not the universe first. What needs to change is you. You need to come to a place where you put everything else aside and you put aside all of your hopes and dreams that you can be in control and you can change the world and you must submit to the One who is actually changing the world today.
You must come to the place where you profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Claim all that He is for yourself. That is the triumph of grace that Isaiah predicts. That is the curse being reversed one person at a time. The third thing that we see begins in verse 15. We see that the kingdom is coming. We see that the promises are being performed. And then finally we see that redemption is being realized. Look at verse 15. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through. Do you feel that way? Not here sitting in a chair comfortable, knowing it's safe, knowing you don't even need to say anything because the preacher will say it for you. No, I mean out at your workplace or at school or in the neighborhood. Do you feel forsaken? Do you feel hated? Do you feel there's no one there to help? Well, God has a word for you. He says, I will make you majestic forever. A joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations. He says, you have to understand what real reality is. You are not abandoned. You are majestic in my sight. You are not hated. You are a joy to the world. You are my ambassadors. You are the bearers of joy and peace and light in the world. And you are not alone. You are nourished. He uses this wonderful image of milk. Now, I understand that sometimes children aren't so fond of milk because mom and dad make them drink it. But I want you to picture what Isaiah is saying here. It's, it's an image of fullness and supply and rejoicing. It's kind of milk that is so rich and wonderful, you'll forgive me, parents. It's as if I is saying, Isaiah is saying, you have milkshakes. Oh, they're delicious. Oh, and they're rich. And you've got to eat some of it with a spoon because you can't get it through the straw. That's the blessing that God gives. He makes all of the wrongs right. And then He challenges us and He says, you think you want things. You think you need things. You think you would be satisfied. And He says, you have no idea the blessings that are coming to you. And look at how He does it over and over again. You want bronze? Yeah, it's kind of shiny. How about gold? You want iron? How about silver? Oh, oh, wood? No, 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 no. Something more strong than that. Bronze. Stones, no, iron. Whatever it is that you want, I will give you more and better. Because that's who I am, says the Lord. This redemption that we have is beyond anything we realize. And I think one of the things that the church has lost is we think about the redemption we receive in Christ and all that it is is a get-out-of-hell card. And we're glad we're not going to hell. And we should be. But we think that's it. And God says, no, it's so much more than that. There is so much that I have for you, both here and in glory. How could you not be optimistic about your life and the world when God tells you this is what is coming? 
Now, we may need to wait. We may need to exercise patience. We may need to go through tribulation. We know what we have at the end of the story. At the end of this day, we will have everything that we possibly need. Look at verse 19 and 20. The sun shall be no more your day by light, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. And in verse 20, your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. Verse 21, your people shall be all righteous. 22, the least one shall become a clan. We will have everything we need. We will be transformed. We will no longer be our old selves. We will be as we are meant to be. All will be righteous. We will possess this land that God has given to us. The branch of His planting. The work of His hands. We are seeing God's plan unfold right in front of us. All that He has promised is ours. But the most significant thing we see is in verse 19 and 20. That the Lord Himself is ours. That He is ever present and there is no mediation. There is no screen. There is no go-between, as it were. There is no distance between us and God. And He uses this wonderful image that is at the core of our world. We look up in the sky and we say, we couldn't possibly live without the sun. It'd be dark. It'd be cold. And God says, you don't need the sun. The sun is a pale imitation. The sun is something that I set in the sky for you. I am your light. I am your joy. And I don't set. You don't need to wait for me to come up the next morning. You don't need to be afraid of the dark, for I will always be with you. And if we know this, and if this takes root in our soul, how can again we not be optimistic about the world before us? For we know that the Lord is at work. So in conclusion here, let us think for a moment. Where do you place your hope? today? Is your hope that somehow the politicians will get together and figure out the problem and things will get better in America? Perhaps you're a bit more realistic that that will never happen and so your hope is that all of the bums will be thrown out and we'll get a new set of folks and they'll fix all the problems. You see, what God says to you is, you're always going to have problems. Some of these might be solved. Some things might get better. Some things might get worse. But that shouldn't be your focus. Because our circumstances change. Our circumstances are not about who we are. The reality of who we are is in the Lord and what He is doing and what He has promised to do and accomplish. So the Scripture calls you to be a patient optimist.
to trust the Lord that He will carry through His plan and that it will be glorious for us. Is that your hope today? If your faith and trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, then that should be your hope each and every day. Let's pray.